Hello and welcome to the TRK Mailbag. My name is Tom Savage. Welcome uh, to this podcast. If you would like to send in a question for next week's TRK Mailbag, you can do so. Info at 3RedKings.com or make your way to the TRK Mailbag uh, channel on the TRK Secret Club on Discord, which if you're not a member of, if you're listening to this, you can become a member of it. Just go to Patreon or if you're one of those people listening and uh, you aren't a TRK Premium subscriber, you can just go over to Patreon. You can just do it there. Easiest thing in the world. Uh, and get in there and ask questions, have fun and become deranged even more so about Monster than what you already are. Anyway, um, a lot of questions to get through this week. Uh, I understand right now there's a ton of people who are currently en route down to Cape Town in South Africa. So I hope if you're listening to this right now, be it on a plane. Uh, well, probably it would be on a plane unless you're going the very slow way around. In which case, I hope you make it there for the end of June. But yeah, look, I, w- I want to thank you for your support if you're going down to Cape Town. I've been speaking to a few guys who were there, uh, some of the, the, the players who were kind of building into this game and just the idea of the number of people who are coming to support them. Uh, is such a powerful motivator um, and you going there is a net positive uh, and uh, you're, you're going to have a great time hopefully uh, with a big monster win hopefully but we will get to that later in the week for now I'm going to get to some of the questions that have been coming in over the last couple of weeks um, but yeah it is a a very interesting set of questions uh, this first one is from uh, Thomas R. Do you think the TMO upgradable cards for head contact should be brought in for the World Cup? My idea here, and, and, and if you haven't heard about this, there's a TMO bunker. It's going to be trialed in the uh, under 20 World Championship. It's currently going ongoing in Super Rugby. Um, and I think that on the face of it, anything to do with uh, head contact, it seems as of late, World Rugby have been trying to almost dilute the punishments for head contact or foul play of that nature. Um, I actually don't think that this is what all that is about. Uh, For me, I think it's a good idea because if there's a situation where it feels like there has been a high contact that at least meets the threshold of a yellow card, that then empowers the TMO to basically go and scrub through the footage and look at the incident and then make the decision based on what they have seen almost away from the pressure of the you know the entire rigmarole that we see these days when it comes to tmo decisions where the referee is standing the two assistants are there they're both looking up at the screen everybody's fucking shitting it i think it puts a little bit more uh responsibility in the hands of the tmo which i think is not a bad idea Uh, i think it also will speed up the game which i think is something you know, when we look at the amount of time it's, it, it takes sometimes to get decisions made on high shots, um, I think the longer they go on, the kind of the more likely it is that you'll find a mitigation or whatever. I think that it basically gives the TMO the power to go, look, we'll watch the footage back away from the pressure of the entire world looking up at the big screen uh, and make a decision while the fella's already in the bin. I think that it will when you look at the the trial they're running for it in the under 20 world championship I think that's just a precursor to get people on board with it before they put it in the world cup I think it's almost an inevitability that they will try to run it for the world cup because it increases the spectacle and I think that with the way that it currently works I think that get the fella into the bin for a high shot if it le- if, if it at least merits a yellow card for a, a tackle and then let the TMO sort it and I think that that in itself will take some of the pressure off the referee it'll give more 
responsibility to the TMO, which I think is a good thing. And uh, I think it'll cut down on the number of, you know, like CSI TMO situations we have where fellas are, we're, we're watching fellas watching something on TV. If I wanted to watch Gogglebox, I would. Uh, so I think it's a good idea. Uh, I think it should be brought in for the World Cup. Uh, Carrick Munn says, Hi Tom, not sure if you've covered this already, but what in a rough outline is a skills coach and how should this improve things next season? Uh, it's a uh, Massey Lawler coming in. Um, yeah, it's a great signing, first of all. Um, what a skills coach does is, if you look at the way a, a, a coaching setup works, now, not not every coaching setup is like this. Um, Munster, for example, have a very collaborative approach between George Murray, Graham Rowntree, Mike Brendergast, Dennis Leamy, and Massey Lawler will be coming into that as well. And basically, it'll be five with uh, Andy Kiriakou as well, sorry, uh, basically collaborating as a coaching unit. Some places, like like Leinster, for example, everybody very much stays in their lane. So, like, for the way Munster have approached this, and this is almost since day one, right? Uh, when they were getting the team together, they basically had a conversation back in, I think it was June of last year, where they went over exactly what they wanted Munster to be and what they wanted their roles to be because they were speaking about well this is what we're going to try to do from a a game state perspective this is how we want to play this is what we want to change so how do we go about doing that and there's a lot of overlap between them but what what this will do I think is that it will allow um like Mossy Lawler to basically work directly on handling skills certain elements of 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 drills uh, certain elements of pressure games to increase the overall skill set of the players that's not necessarily just with um that's not necessarily just with handling the ball there's stuff with kicking there's stuff with positioning as well uh, that they basically drill down into the minutiae of improving the individual skill sets of all the players in in phase play primarily now depending on the on the coach there can be little bits of like set piece or or other units you know specific things but for the most part that's kind of what it does and it can be on both the offensive and the defensive side of the ball where a skills coach basically just comes in and kind of tightens up some technique bits because like coaches as we as we currently have like they have quite wide briefs when you add in somebody like uh, Mossy Lawler in this case, you spread the work around. So bits uh, of uh, attacking kind of drills and kind of individual skill sessions that maybe Mike Prendergast could be involved with now, they would go to Mossy Lawler from next season. So that then allows Mike Prendergast to deal with kind of more overarching and, and kind of specify in or uh, basically kind of specialize, I would say, in other areas of the attacking game because if you look at Mike Law or Massey Lawler he was the um, assistant attack coach and skills coach at Connacht so he can add bits and pieces to um, take workload off what might be partly on Dennis Leamy and Mike Prendergast's table he takes over that aspect of it then you allow those fellas to take a kind of a more overarching role which allows them bigger picture sort of, of, of coaching and you know uh, scheming with regards to defense attack or whatever else so basically what it'll do is it'll allow your specific skills coach to work i mean directly on the whatever parts of the skill set that they're you know focusing on be it handling be it you know certain parts of carrying technique stuff like that 
all building into the the vision that you know Graham Rowntree has for how Munster want to play which would be a kind of a, a continuation of what we've already seen this season and when you start working with those fellas skill sets you're dealing with you know work under pressure it basically allows you to increase the bandwidth of the overall coaching group because they're focusing less on one thing so that they can then spread their their thoughts and their their coaching bandwidth because you've only got so many hours in a day you've only only you've only got so many coachable hours in a week so what the the skills coach addition does means that you've got more time to work on we'll say more specific parts of your day a bit like you know the way Ian Costello's coming in as a director of rugby operations you have a guy like that he's able to take some of the stuff that might be made or long-term uh things that are on uh, Graham Roundtree's desk at the moment take them off his plate so that he can deal with more short to midterm issues while you're uh, Ian Costello is working on longer term or midterm targets succession plans things like that all that plays a large part in allowing fellas to do what they're best at and I think that's the big value of bringing in a skills coach is that it allows you to you know get Dennis Leamy and get Mike Prendergast and get, get Andy Kariaku dealing with specifics and more to do exactly with their brief not everybody staying in the one lane but basically portioning off things that you know you have to do and taking some of the workload off other coaches tables to allow them to be better focused on other things that's one of the biggest advantages of of the whole thing for me thank you very much for that question uh hi tom what's your ideal season run-in structure across the epcr and urc playoffs have you heard any feedback from coaches and players on their preferences really does depend on the coach and what their circumstances are coming into the end of season if you're Leinster you would love a more segmented end to the season where you have maybe a week on and a week off all the way through for both Europe and the URC playoffs other clubs would want the opposite where they want to go week to week to week to week once it comes down to the business end of the season I think a lot of it comes into um, the workload of the players um, for Leinster, their biggest problem at the moment, from a, a Leinster perspective, is, and I, I think it's 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 a it's a good thing in one way, but it really does up the work rate and uh, the the workload. I would say rather of the players that they have is is their international commitments. Um, they lose the vast majority of their team for November and for the Six Nations. Those guys are not off on holiday during those times. They are going through hugely intensive training and they're also going through the highest impact, most intense, most brutal uh, test games that they, that they will play in a year for the most part. So that all adds clock or uh, minutes to their clock and everybody's only got so many minutes uh, in a season. Some guys are really, really durable. They'll go for 1,400, 1,450 more uh, minutes per season. But when a lot of those minutes are test minutes, they catch up to you sooner rather than later. Um, there was a lot of heat put on Leinster for the team that they put out against Munster in the semi-final, saying, oh, could they, could they, can they not go week to week, was the question. Can, can these players not go week to week? They probably could go week to week. But one, a lot of those guys are going to get minute-minded heading up to the World Cup. What Andy Farrell does not want is his centrally contracted players who were contracted to the union, not to Leinster, um, that he doesn't want them picking up a fucking serious muscle injury uh, with two games to go before the, the pre-season break and then heading into a big, big World Cup season. 
where Ireland are favourites and are expected to win this World Cup, which is colossal for rugby in this country. There's, like I said, there's only so many minutes that you can have in a season. So you've got to pick and choose where guys get their breaks. And with the way the season has broken down this week, or this, this season, is everybody's going week to week to week to week, except for the teams who are out of Europe. The, the deeper you go into, into Europe, the more the, the, like the, the, the pressure on your resources starts coming into play. La Rochelle had to put out a rotated team against, was it Montpellier uh, the week before the Champions Cup final? Because nobody, and nobody ever has, I will say, go week to week to week to week for five, six, seven, you know, for, for maybe even three or four or five weeks in a row with the same team with no rotation when it comes to the type of games you're playing in, at this point of the season. For me, I kind of come down to the um, battling on two fronts tax. If you're a team who has uh, eyes on becoming a double champion, that should be ridiculously hard to do. So I would be very much in favour of if you're in Europe and the URC, there are no weeks off. You go week to week to week to week to week in knockout rugby. So you go, if you're in European quarterfinal, we'll say, I think you should go quarterfinal of uh, Europe, quarterfinal of URC next week, semifinal of Europe, week after that, semifinal of URC next week after that final of Europe week after that final of the URC I think that's the way it's gone this year and I think that it makes for intriguing coaching questions and I think it adds jeopardy throughout the year as well which again if you're Leinster you would love the idea of one week on one week off so you have your you almost have a rest week in between I think to keep things even between all the sides I think that adding that intense end of season run to not punish, but basically make earning a double really earning a double. Um, and to have teams go week to week to week, I think that that will add jeopardy to both and will make teams look to prioritise. And if it means you have to spread your resources, if you have a lot of resources, I think that in itself is good for the league. I, I, I would say I would like to go week to week to week to week. If we were going on deci- on making a decision on, on the, the running structure, I would go every week you keep playing winner stays on uh, obviously but to go week to week and, and just take that as a super challenging end of season running with maybe a week off for the, the URC final or whatever else or maybe a week off at the end for the the Europe uh, personally a lot of people have complained about the Europe not being the, the centrepiece anymore I'm actually happy that the, the URC or the top 14 or the Gallagher Premiership that their finals are the the main events I think Europe is fine but you want to have the game I mean you will play infinitely more URC games in a season than you will um, Europe I think that making that as important as possible by kind of giving it that status is the best way to go for me Uh, Klum says have one I've been thinking about for a while do you ever see something in video analysis that you point out because you hope that someone in the team slash staff will read and use it is there any time you think that has happened um, well, for the most part, the stuff that I produce on the red eye is like it, it almost happens too late, right? The red eye comes out the day before if I'm going well or the morning of if I'm really struggling for time. And at that point, their analysis is already done the week prior. So it's very unlikely that it will be brought in at that stage. And and for, for players, like they should not be taking in information from me or anybody else 
heading into a game if it's the night before or the morning of. Um, some of the stuff that I've written, it's ended up, I've ended up seeing it in the game because we both came to the same conclusion. I, I think at the moment, predicting what a team will do, there's not that much, uh, there's not that much joy in that for me really because like you know you could say there's never any number of things you could predict in a game but for me it's about looking at trends and looking at well what should I expect to see from Munster here based on what I've seen from the opposition um so yeah no, I, I have seen things that have popped up that have been done entirely separately but because of the way schedules work I know that there's nothing in there that will be a surprise to coaches there's stuff now that like I, I've seen that they didn't use like in the Leinster game for example the the gap that I was talking about with Milne at the back of the lineout that was there all day and Munster only went after it once it was spaced there all day long and um, but that's just one of the things that happens there's so many different things you can target for uh you know pro teams their analysis is done a week before and and they're making presentations about that on the monday so like it's it the timelines don't sync up really in in a way for that to be useful to to anybody other than you know people reading on trk for you know entertainment or educational purposes this next one uh, is tom i've literally had leinster fans say to me yeah but our first team would have destroyed munster Am I totally deluded by Hopium to think that actually it wouldn't have been a foregone conclusion because in my mind it's more the Leinster game plan Munster countered rather than their personnel. Leinster have many world class players. Munster were without at least six internationals. Munster's tactics for example were denying Leinster lineouts would also have been effective against a fully loaded Leinster. Yeah it would have been. Some of that stuff is, is hubris and kind of you know fan kind of copium to a certain extent where you're going well we if we'd played our full team we would have beaten you. Like yeah look always a possibility because the, the team they put out could have beaten Munster as well but I think if you were to go full team versus full team right now with everybody who's you know out injured available uh, in, in a one-off game I think it's as close as it's ever been uh, well certainly in the last 10 years so I would say that um, on the one hand look Leinster when they're fully loaded are, are a formidable side but I think more so now in the modern game it's more to do with the clash of systems for me uh, especially when it comes to the highest level games how does your system and framework match up with the opposition? And I think in that regard, the way Munster have been building our game this season and again, looking to limit, for the most part, the, so the sort of possession we give to the opposition playing multi-phase ball off, um, off kick receipts and stuff like that. I think we have a game now that's becoming a bad match for what Leinster currently do. But again, it's it's hard to say. Look, and I think if, if Leinster had wanted to put their first team out, they would have. Uh, they thought that the team they picked, which everybody tells us, that could win the URC. Um, the, the team they play, you know, against uh, a rotated Dragons over in the Arms Park in December, that, oh, well, look, that team could win the URC. If we take that at face value, they don't have a weak inside. So, look, I, I think that a lot of that is just kind of fan nonsense looking to try and get a little bit of I don't know get a little bit of their own back maybe not sure how how you know sensible it is because Munster can only beat what's put in front of them and um, that's what was put in front of Munster Munster beat him end of story 
Connor, uh, Tom, any chance the URC will make a change to how they select referees for the quarterfinal, semi-final and final so not to have the issue like at the weekend with Frank Murphy? Surely a ref from a country not involved in the game uh, can't be that hard to organise. Yeah, no, like th- that is true, but it's also dependent on the other games that are being played that weekend. So, you know, there, there's a pool of referees who would be neutral. In Irish province versus Irish province, they typically tend to get in Irish referees for that um, because the Irish elite referees like they not sure how many of them are in at, at any one time but they might be from Munster but they're classified uh, as being kind of IRFU like paid employees so like I think people are kind of very keen to make a sort of um you know sell a narrative about oh like Frank Murphy like you know people were kind of seeding it beforehand kind of going oh well if we lose it's because of Frank you know and, and sometimes look everybody gets involved if you're if you're passionate about this game at all and you're invested really invested in one club you or in, in your test side referees will they will wreck your head okay like because you'll see a mistake you'll hyper fixate on that everybody does it it's it isn't right it actually isn't and I know I've I've done it myself, and I can like, and I understand that it's not right. But I think it's just one of those things you have to um, accept is part of the game. So I look at the appointment of Frank Murphy and go, look, he is he used to play for Munster. He played with Leo Cullen for years as well. You know, I think if you drill down into that, you'll end up, I don't know, besmirching guys where. You know, it's something that you can end up doing almost accidentally. But I think when it comes to the referees, and in this instance, um, they had Craig Evans, I think, and Mike Adamson were involved in. Um, they were done in South Africa. So I look at. Um, the, I suppose like they, like they, like they could do it better that way, but I don't see why an Irish referee can't referee an Irish province. You know, if they're playing against each other. I think that there should be no idea of oh well he's going to be biased for a certain team just because he's from there or whatever else I'm not sure if, if that's true I think to be honest it nearly works out the opposite way a lot of the time so you know I, I think that's um, a, a little bit too much was made from that but I think a lot of it as well comes down to is the referee available is the referee injured is the referee fit to take that game and like and again there's an idea being that like if an Irish province were playing uh, the Stormers, for example, right, in a semi-final, like, you wouldn't put uh, Jack O'Paper refereeing that game if you could avoid it for a knockout game because there'd be the idea being there that because, well, he's a home country referee refereeing at home with a South African side. They wouldn't put them in that position because, you know, there's a Irish and South African team playing, so... South African ref looks bad so they, in that instance they would try to get Mike Adamson for example as they did for the um, Connacht versus Stormers game so when it's in country like you know like it will say Stormers versus the Bulls they'd have no problem putting you know Yako Paper or whoever refereeing that game because it's just perceived to be well look that's an internal game within that country they can set their own referees for that so because it seemed that there, like that there, is no bias really, because both the teams are Irish. If that makes sense, and um, that's the way they're looking at it at the moment. Now, if it's a case that they expand their refereeing pool 
um, and everything that comes with it. You know, you've got to get the neutral TMOs as well. Um, I think that will be, and I think it's it's almost more important to get a, a kind of a a fellow who is seen to be a neutral TMO because of the the power of the, you know their ability to bring things to the referee's attention. Um, but yeah, no, I think that overall, um, I think the way it runs at the moment, I think it I think it works. Um, but I think they'd need to expand their refereeing pool anyway uh, to try and get more guys from outside, like maybe who might be. Like, why should there be no French referees regularly refereeing in, in the, the URC? Why should there be no Georgians? Why should there be, you know, more Italian referees? That's kind of what we're looking for. We're looking to expand the game that way outside of uh, Panardi and uh, Ganecci. So, yeah, no, look, I, I think it's certainly a, a legit issue for people. But the way they look at it is, is that an Irish referee refereeing two Irish provinces is not going to be biased for one team. And I think that's the way that they look at it. This is from Key and Halpin. Hi Tom, has there been a change in how you traditionally play cup rugby? Usually when you got into a scoring zone, you take your three points all the time and keep the scoreboard ticking over. However, now more and more teams are going to the corner instead for the five to seven points and turning down easy threes. We saw this with Glasgow, the quarterfinal, the Munster semi-final, and I see Jackman is now saying Leinster need to do that at the weekend against La Rochelle. Um, there are two schools of thought in this, and the first is the use of time. Time is a limited resource in a game of rugby as well as your energy now the energy efficient thing to do would be to kick it goal but again the risk and reward of that unless it's a gimme kick in front of the posts or you're late in the game when all you need might be one or two points it is seen to be a little bit of a inefficient use of the possession or the opportunity. That's the way teams are looking at it. Um, so if you have a, a penalty that is outside the regular range, and I'm talking about below 90% make rate, um, depending on the context of the game, teams you will often see, if it's outside the first maybe two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, we'll say, they'll go to the corner. Because if your lineout works... To, to the level that it's supposed to be at. Remember, the retention rate for lineouts is far higher than what it would be for the scrum, right? You can set a mall platform in and around the opposition five-meter line that tends to lead to the sort of red zone scoring opportunities that'll give you five points at least. From a time management perspective, you are also in really dangerous possession right on the opposition five-meter line or try line or whatever else in the aftermath of kicking to the corner. And even if it takes two, three, four minutes to to make that score, that is four minutes that the opposition do not have to come back up the field. Because remember, you kick off, like the opposition will kick the ball back to you after you score a try. And from there, if you play out the sequence, if they kick it deep into the 22, you reset. Some teams will look to try and kick that ball out on the full, um, you know, to get a, to defend the line out. Or they will look to try and con- compete with a short box kick, which the retention rates on that are fairly low. Also, the opposition get the te- get, get, like they get the ball back. So, when, if they get the ball back, do you want to be five points up or do you want to be three points up? It makes sense to be five points up or seven points up, depending on when the, the if the conversion goes over. Like I think, and we go back to uh, I think it was two thousand and one, two thousand and two, even as far back as that. Munster had realised that taking the three alone is not enough to win most games you have to score tries no platform in the game is more dangerous and converts more uh, 
to your five or your seven points than the close range line of opportunity. So what teams are looking to do in that moment is you're, you're trying to be brave, right? But to them, it is a more efficient use of the possession in the vast majority of cases outside the last 10 minutes to go to the corner. And then once you get into the end game, it all depends on the context of the game at that moment. If, for example, you're seven points up uh, in a cup final and you have a penalty that you get within even somewhat kickable range and you're in the last 10 minutes, what does any sensible team do in that moment? They take the three. So they line up, they take all the time going, they line it up, they kick it, that ball goes over the bar ideally. Um, at If you if it, if it the penalty is there at 71 minutes, the ball goes over the bar. If you kind of cheese the clock right, it goes over the bar at around 73 minutes. That means by the time they get back up and get a restart, you'll be taking the ball into your possession Maybe you'll have it in, in your 22 or whatever else because they may go short, they may go long. Retain the ball at that point and you have the game won more or less. You can control the ball from there. The opposition would need two scores. So with the way that the game works, like you would in context take the three in that regard. But again, there, there's always examples to the contrary. We can look at Munster's away game against Claremont, for example, in Europe uh, two seasons ago during the pandemic year. Um that game was mostly Munster getting back into it through penalties. Um, so at the same time, that was the, they were the opportunities we had to start building a score. And that's what Claremont were giving us. So that put us into a position where when we did score a try, we were able to go into the lead. So I think a lot of it comes down to context. But when you look at cup, like cup rugby, for the most part, it's about winning and teams when you break down how the game actually is played these days it is more efficient to go to the corner the vast majority of the time than what it is to kick for three especially depending on the context of the game I think outside the first 10 minutes because if you if you you know have a penalty opportunity early in the game a lot of teams will kick it because it gets you off where you're you're leading the opposition then have to produce something so going three nil up the opposition have to react so that gives you a kind of a, a way to start tilting the scales of the game where they maybe have to push a bit more, they have to kick a bit longer. That allows you to start building in off the back of that then as well. And typically you will see if you're down 3-0, you get an opportunity to make it 3-3. Most teams will take that. It's when you're looking to kind of set the tone for the, the middle stages of the game. That's when you start to, well, we'll start going to the corner now repeatedly because if we can get one penalty and kick it down and score seven points, if we score a second to go 14 points up like that's far better than being 6 points up which sounds like like sounds like one of uh, Jeff's uh, things about you know if, if you're ahead at the end of the game that means you win it is better if you have that position to go for 14 points than it is to maybe you know get 6 that would be definite because 2 penalties is wiped out by 1 drive into the corner and a conversion so to me and I think most teams are looking at it now where you have to go to the corner, you have to be brave because that's the way games are won now. Um, there will be the odd outlier. And again, there will be plenty games that will be won in the last 10 minutes through a penalty or going for a three in that circumstance. But I think for the most part, in the middle of the game, when it's being settled and being, you know, when the, when the, 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 the framework of the game is being built, it's mostly done in, in that 
area where you go to the corner, you score your easy, your your your, your five meter drills, like you score them when you have the opportunity, and th- the game will look after itself for the most part. Uh, JMCCC asks, you might have answered this before, but is there anyone in AIL you'd like to see come in on a dev deal? Um, there's a few guys who I think have have um ability. Um, I I think that's it's difficult to judge first of all to, you know to get guys in and to see how they're producing because AIL the level is 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 a really good competitive league but the actual level of the game is below URC I know uh, was it Colin the Butler said it after the AIL final that there are some games that are you know are are better than than URC look they might be more entertaining but the actual level of the levels of the game are for me quite a bit below it. And I think anybody who's got experience at the pro side of the game would would know that that's that's pretty much like a fairly set in stone kind of thing about how difficult the level jump is. Um, I think most of the guys I've seen standing out this year are already in the academy or are about to be. Um, Dylan Donnellan is a guy at Clontarf who I think has just been superb all season long. Um, as a as like physically looks really good. What, what, I mean, it seems like a guy to me who'd be worth a punt um, with a dev deal or, or whatever. But um, yeah, I think most of the guys I've seen are already in the academy or are, are about to be. So I think it's a kind of a, that might be a kind of a bit of a cop out of the answer. But I think that, you know, for the most part, I think the guys there are really well suited to AIL and that's, there's, there's nothing at all wrong with that. Uh, Major Moistly Optimistic my god says a question that has been asked many times being that Leinster's success is built on consistency and cohesion how do they replace Sexton from a player outside the system without having to adapt said system unless they intend keeping it in house and going Harry and Sam with a bit of frolly thrown in Um, I think replacing Sexton is going to be incredibly difficult anyway I think Leinster have gotten a bit of a flavour of that over the last number of um, months I would say where to a certain extent against most opposition you won't feel it or it'll feel like an like a like a like a, a non-problem um but i i think from just from a stylistic perspective i think leinster will stick what they have um bringing in a 10 like i think a guy like andre pollard actually could really suit what leinster are are doing at the moment uh, and the way that they play the game currently there's the way people think leinster play and then there's the way that leinster actually play and i think andre pollard could be a a decent fit for them if they wanted to go the niq route um after sexton but i think they'll stick with ross Byrne. I, I think that ross has a ceiling he's a very good player i don't think he's in the same bracket or even the bracket below a sexton i think he's obviously a very good guy knows exactly what leinster system is and you know you're talking about their their consistency the cohesion there's going to be change coming next year anyway they're going to be losing some key veterans they're going to be a change in coaches and um, there will be guys like who will be in the in the setup as is who will look to change things around that's always unpredictable it can go well or not and and this is one of the things that when people are looking to avoid coaching churn it's because of this because things can always get worse everybody has this idea that well we'll change coaches and everything will go well it can and and it often does go the other way where things are not good and and there's you know uh, the sort of churn that costs you games and i mean can you know disrupt an entire season you know but i i think that they're going to go with i would say ross will keep it going next year they will try out harry burn again i think that he's again quite a, fa- a flawed player 
in a way that Leinster's system at the moment can't accommodate. I think Sam Prendergast is somebody that they can mould. He's got a lot of the qualities that Leinster's system at the moment really does rely on. A really long, accurate boot. He gets the game as well. He's got good game IQ. He's not the big. He's not the best or most athletic mover, as in he's not a guy who's going to be a massive challenger on the game line himself. But Leinster's system doesn't really need him to be that. He needs to be an accurate passer. He needs to have a good boot um, during phase play. He needs to be good off the tee, which he is as well. Um, so I think that they'll, depending on how he develops over the summer, they'll look to try to go with Ross as their primary guy um, and then look to bring um, Sam Prendergast and maybe Harry Byrne as well. But I think they'll, we may see a lot more of Sam Prendergast next year than maybe we would have prior to last weekend's game. And I think you look at how Harry Byrne played against Munster as well. I saw a lot of fellas saying, oh, look, outside of the ending, he played just as good as, as Crowley. I've watched that game back so many times. It's just not true. Like he had a quite a, an average game for me with some of his decisions, some of his past choices. Again, it, 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 he's not a washout of a player by any means, but I don't see a huge high-level player there at the moment. That can all change, but everything I've seen of Harry up until now, I've seen a guy who's well able to blitz lower level opposition this always happens for Leinster where they're taking apart teams who are half interested in playing them in the regular season Uh, but when the levels go up it becomes a lot more difficult and I think that at the moment I would still say that we don't know enough about Harry Byrne even two or three seasons in to make a judgement call either way I'd I'd be more confident about about what we know of Ross Byrne even though Ross Byrne isn't a a massive high level talent in my opinion we know more about him as a player than we do Harry Byrne uh, because we know what Ross can and can't do. We know where his level is and where it tends to fall down. I don't think we know that with Harry Byrne as a bit. Um, for Ballin says, Hi Tom, can you explain Toulouse and France playing too much rugby against Ireland and Leinster with La Rochelle and Munster's keep the ball strategy? Feels like there's something I'm missing. Yeah. Um, what Toulouse and France do typically when they're at their best is not playing with a whole load of possession. You have to be conditioned to play any successful game plan successfully right if you are not conditioned to play it you will lose and you will lose most of the time at the start of the year for example Munster moved from a sort of a a team who did a bit of kick pressure a team who did a bit of you know counter transition work a team who did a bit of um, you know set piece strike mall work and stuff like that we went from a, t- from a team who didn't really have a massive on-field identity to a team that was going to be playing massive on-ball rugby. That required a change in training, a change in fitness levels, and the fitness levels there being the most important thing. Playing attacking rugby, multi-phase sets, is incredibly physically demanding. Um, if you don't have the conditioning for it, you won't make the breakdowns, you won't be in position to make the passes. You will start making tired attempts to pass the ball, which will lead to turnovers, which will lead to dour performances. We saw that from Munster at the start of the season. What Toulouse and, and uh, France are, are, are really good at and have been playing consistently is off-ball rugby. More, uh, more whatchamacallit, um, transition stuff from Toulouse. And I think France are really good at that as well, where when you kick the ball back to them, they're really good in the counter-transition. Um, but they're not a team who you would want to be bringing down into their own half of the field off a kick and going through six, seven, eight, nine phases in and around the halfway line or in between the 10 metre lines. T- to me, they are not good against elite opposition when they start doing that because they're not conditioned to do it. For France, they don't have the cohesion. Guys are coming in from too many different clubs. They can't have a massively complex 
uh, offensive style in those moments because I, I think that they just are, are not conditioned to play it. Um, France, I think, attempted to do that because they know that if you were able to hang on to the ball against Leinster Ireland when they kick it to you, you can beat them. But La Rochelle play this every week. La Rochelle are conditioned to play this every week. They have that built-in cohesion of because you need a ton of cohesion if you're playing on-ball rugby. You need to know what your guys are doing. You need to know what the fellow outside you, what line he's running, where he's going to be when you make that pass because you're going to be doing it a whole lot in the game. If you decide to you know, if you're an off-ball team who primarily you kick to pressure, you kick to chase, you defend, defend, defend around the breakdown, maybe you win a penalty, uh, you kick it, you maul it, uh, you may when the opposition maybe kick the ball back to you, it comes to, you know, Gabin Villiers or it comes to uh, Cheslin Colby or it comes to, uh, um, it comes to uh, Antoine Dupont or a, a Peno or any of these guys, like, they will attack you on that transition and then when they retain the ball, they'll go grind, 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 but then they'll kick. And you'll see this with France. You'll see this with Toulouse. Like, that's what they tend to do. Like, so what France and Toulouse attempted to do was off system for when they're at their at their very best because they're not conditioned to do it. Not to the level that Leinster will do when they start upping the ball in playtime. If you're Leinster against La Rochelle, any attempt that you do to keep the ball in playtime up by kicking infield means that you don't see the ball from multiple phases and you have to go through huge effort to try and get that ball back. So that's kind of where the the systems kind of jam. And I, for me, it's about you can only do well what you do consistently. And that means week to week to week to week to week. And that's one of the biggest things. La Rochelle do it. Munster have been doing it this year. Toulouse and La Rochelle, or Toulouse and France, they don't really do it. Like you look at France in the aftermath of that Ireland game, they went right back to heavy kick pressure and then transition baiting themselves. That's, again, they, they tried to change because they saw what worked against Ireland and Leinster. So um, they tried to make that happen for themselves and they ended up blowing themselves out because you don't have the conditioning for it. it means you get overtired, means that all of a sudden you're redlining, the opposition are running around you. That's how it works. Um, I've got a second mailbag coming on Thursday um, to just because I've basically just got the, the volume of questions that I have um, is just through the roof. So uh, there'll be another 40 minute mailbag coming on Thursday. This is for your flight, your bus, you're waiting for a connecting flight, uh, you're sitting in a hotel. There's more coming. Uh, I've got another uh, another two podcasts coming tomorrow as well, one on the 10 euro tier uh, for Thursday as well, as well as the Red Eye, Blood and Thunder uh, coming um, on Friday for the build-up for final game of the season. Um, so, yeah, look, thank you very much for joining me. If you've got a question for tomorrow's mailbag you'd like to send me, you can just do so. info at com or go to the TRK Secret Club, uh, the TRK Mailbag channel there, and leave a, a question for me, and I will get to it tonight for tomorrow's podcast. So thank you very much for joining me. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.